time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. So tonight, I want to just go straight to the Word of God. I have a lengthy portion of Scripture that I want to share with you. Sometimes as youth pastors and just as preachers in general, we like to just kind of summarize the Bible and just kind of tell you what's going on in the Bible. Tonight, I just feel like we just need to read the Bible. There is power whenever you just let God's Word even just speak for itself. So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight as well. Um, I want you guys, even as they just kind of get ready, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 6. But tonight, I just want all of us to just stand up. It's just kind of a, just kind of an honor thing, just kind of a, man, we're reading the Word of God, almost like, just like you stand up whenever you do the Pledge of Allegiance. I just want us to stand tonight as we read through the Bible together. And so we're starting at We're starting at Judges chapter 6. We'll skip around just a bit. We'll start at verse 1. Start at verse 1. Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And it'll be on the screen in the New Living Translation. If you don't have that translation. Okay, so here we go. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Everybody say seven years. But the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, in the caves, and in strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. Verse 4 says, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza, they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. That's a bad day. Skip down to verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you had not listened to me. Verse 11 says this. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, not Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Verse 12 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all these things happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? 14 says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, for I am sending you. 15 says, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites, as if you were fighting against one man. Everybody say, one man. Skip down to verse 25 for the sake of time here. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal 
and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. 27 says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. 29 says this, Then the people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Last verse here, 32 says, From then on, Gideon was called Jerubal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Bow your heads with me. Father, I have glory. I thank you tonight for the power that is in the word. I thank you that it is anointed. It is powerful. I ask for the breath of God to breathe fresh on the lives of your sons and your daughters tonight in the name of Jesus. We need to hear your word tonight. They don't need a cute message or a few jokes. Tonight, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us, adult volunteers, interns, junior high, high school students. It does not matter. We want to hear your voice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, and I would encourage you to, The name of tonight's message is simply the making of a hero. Everybody say the making of a hero. The making of a hero. So here we are at an interesting point in the nation of Israel. You see, before Judges was the book of Joshua. Everybody's heard of the great, mighty man of God named Joshua who did great exploits for the kingdom of God. But what had happened was Joshua had died. And in the beginning of Judges, it says, there arose another generation who did not know God, who did not know Joshua, nor did they know the things of God or the power of God. So you have this whole new race, this whole new generation of Israelites who had no relationship with Yahweh, no relationship with Jehovah. And so what happens is we enter into the time of what we call the judges. Everybody say judges. Now, reading through Judges, dude, is like watching like the, it's like watching the movie like Gladiator or Patriot or 300, but like on steroids. I mean, you have some of the most scandalous stories to take place in Judges. If you just read the Bible, man, you would just get such an excitement because you would kind of know what I'm talking about. For those of you who are just going, oh, Judges, well, Judges, Smudges, whatever, you don't read your Bible. But for those of you who do, it's like, oh, yeah, man, Judges, I was reading that last week, Pastor Brandon. Okay, Judges is so intense. I mean, you have warriors and you have killers and you have all these all these great men and women of God who are doing exploits for the kingdom and there ain't nothing cute about it I mean they're like slashing people's throats I mean like kill, I mean like some serious stuff going I mean it's in your bible okay and so and so they're I mean they're doing all these th- different things because you had all these ungodly people that were trying to attack them and take advantage of them and so after Joshua died again another generation rose up who did not know God So there's about 17 judges who ruled over 
Israel during this time period. One of them, or one of the first ones, was this guy named Othniel, okay? He, he defeated this guy named Cushurishathame, okay? Try saying that. Cushurishathame. Okay, cool. So, obviously, uh, uh, Middle Eastern name there. Cushurishathame, okay? And so he killed Cushurishathame, who was kind of oppressing the Israelites, and then they had about 40 years of peace. But then what happens is Israel begin to kind of forget their God all over again. And they begin to sin. And they begin to worship false idols. So then the Lord begins to judge them again. And then again, God raises up this left-handed. Any lefties in the house? Any left-handed people? Okay, you get a special shout out right here, okay? And so, and so there was something special about this guy. And we don't know why, but, but whenever Judges is talking about it, he says, he raises up this guy named Ehud. And he says, a left-handed man. I don't know. They're just If I was left-handed, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm left-handed man. Okay, God uses left-handed man. So Ehud, Ehud is raised up. And, and so Ehud, again, delivers Israel. And, and it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty epic here. It, it's a Moabite king. The Moabites are enemies of Israel. And Ehud literally it, it, it takes over this guy named Eglon. He's a Midianite king. He literally like sneaks in while Eglon is using the bathroom. The Bible says that Eglon is a very fat man. And Ehud grabs his fat. Your Bible says this. You should read it. It's great. He grabs his fat and lifts up some of his fat and stabs him in the lower parts of his fat. So he like literally goes and lifts up fat, stubs him. The fat like overtakes his hand, his left hand, of course, because he's a lefty. But it says he, he pulled it from his right side, lifts up his fat, stabs him, puts down his fat, runs out, and he rescues Israel. Okay? And so after this, come on, somebody. That's some good stuff. Okay, so what is the last? Okay, yeah. So uh, you only think Hollywood is original. Nah, they got their stories from the Bible. Come on, somebody. And so, so, he, so okay, he's like the fat stabbing, you know, guy. So... That's Ehud. And after Ehud, there's eight years where Israel returns to peace again. But again, you remember the cycle. They start to sin. They begin to turn their backs on God all over again. They begin to worship false idols Then God raises up another judge by the name of Shamgar. This guy is so bad, he killed 600 men with an ox goad. Now, that is pretty epic, okay? Like some of you are like, oh, no big deal, 600 men. 600 men with an ox goad. I mean, he just pops them. I mean, takes them all out. And so again, Israel goes into a time of peace. But then again, we know the cycle. They start sinning again. So then, come on, shout out to all my ladies. God raises up a mighty woman of God by the name of Deborah. Come on, make some noise, girls. Come on. Don't tell me that God doesn't use women. Come on. And so Deborah is, Deborah is a judge in Israel. And so Deborah gives instructions to this guy named Barak. And she starts prophesying. And as a result, Sisera, this guy who's leading, he's one of the commanders in an enemy army. Okay, you ready for this? Deborah says, okay, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what happened. If you don't follow my voice, you're not going to get the glory, but this guy is going to be killed. As a result, Barak goes out and a, a chain of events is set into motion. This guy, Sisera, is in another town and he's like just partying and this lady comes out and he's like, hey, will you let me come in your tent? And she's like, yeah, no problem. Come on in my tent. And he says, okay, but look, 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 look. If somebody comes to your tent and they ask him for Sisera, tell him he ain't here. Tell him that there's nobody in this tent. She said, oh, yeah, 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 no problem, no problem. Go ahead, have a seat. She covers him up. She goes in the tent, and then all of a sudden, 
As Sisera is lying in her tent, he, she literally takes, okay, this woman now, okay, not just Deborah, but this woman, uh, J.L., takes, uh, uh, takes a hammer and literally drives a stake through his head. It's the Bible, okay? You need to read it. And so literally, but it wasn't just like violence just for violence. I mean, literally, these people were trying to oppress the nation of Israel. So then Barak comes to town, and he's like, where's Sisera at? I'm going to take him on. And she says, oh, no, dude, it's already done. Opens up the tent, and you find Sisera's head pounded into the ground. God got glory out of it, and then Israel was then again rescued from captivity. Y'all saying all now, but if y'all were in captivity, y'all want somebody to drive a stake through his... <laughs> so moving on, so, so, then, so that, and then that's where we are. But again, the cycle, God delivers them, they cry out to God, they're in oppression, they sin, God sends them into judgment, and then he raises up a judge, and then that judge comes and rescues them, and he gives them favor, but then they have amnesia, they have short-term memory loss, and then they begin to forget that it was God who set them free. So here they are in another state of captivity. Seven years, the Bible says, seven years, the Midianites have been ruling over them. They were full of sin, namely idol worship idol worship i mean times were bad people were so broke they couldn't afford to pay attention i mean like they could not i mean it would be like they were out there and like trying to eat and it would be so bad y'all enemy nations would come in and it'd be like okay i just sowed some corn yesterday and it's time for the corn to come up in the ground before they could grab the corn off the off the cob here comes another enemy nation with their swords out killing them taking all of their food taking all of their resources literally and this has been a cycle for seven years seven long years horrible times and then so 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 i mean you could just imagine i mean in the nation of israel right now i mean people were just like i mean uh, like the theme song would be something like something like i mean this is what they were singing we need a hero to save us oh god send a hero like this is crazy i mean like uh, they're taking all of our foods they're killing our kids they're making i mean they're taking advantage of us we need a hero somebody shout hero they needed a hero to come and save them and it's at this point the Bible says that the angel of the Lord, which was actually something in scripture, big theological term here, we call it theophany. Everybody say theophany. theophany. All right, you're getting a little bit of Bible here, you're getting a little bit of theology. Theophany is a time whenever God appears in a physical, literal form. He clothes himself many times in the form, sometimes it's in a vision, but a lot of times it's in the form of a human being. Okay, to where he, and then scripture will call him the angel of the Lord. But we see here in dialogue, it's the Lord himself speaking directly to Gideon. And so this is what happens. So, so Gideon is out. Remember, seven years poverty, seven years struggling, seven years the whole nation's being taken advantage of. So Gideon is out here, and the Bible says that he is threshing wheat. All right, so have you threshed any wheat lately? Yeah, I didn't either. So I looked it up and saw exactly what you do with thresh wheat. Okay, so it's literally like this little hammer, and you have wheat, and you're like just sitting there. This is hand threshing wheat, and you're just 
Like you're just taking it all day and you're getting off all the unedible parts of the wheat and separating it. And so on the threshing floor, which is where they would do this, they just have to hammer like all day in the hot sun, trying to get the edible part of the wheat so that they could cook it and have some nourishment. So he's just hammering and hammering away. But the Bible says it's interesting. Normally they thresh wheat on what we call the threshing floor, which was the floor of a barn. But your Bible says that he's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press, which tells you all the more how bad it was because here's the deal. If he would have been caught threshing wheat and some enemy armies would have come by, they would have killed him on the spot and taken his wheat. So he's literally hiding in a place where wheat is not normally threshed and he's doing it. And here's the other part, that's hand threshing wheat. Normally in times of prosperity, they would have an entire, they would have a a huge area, like an open field kind of area and the cattle would come and they would just stump all over the wheat. And so you'd have dozens and dozens of cattle, no, you know, just going through. And they like just go over the wheat like all day until they separated because all the pressing and the mashing would separate the good wheat from the wheat that was unedible. Everybody checking here? Okay, so here we are. He's in the wine press, odd place because he's hiding. I mean, and so he's, you know, hammering like, you know. Okay, and so here he goes. And so then the angel of the Lord appears to him and says this. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's response, you guys, remember everything that Gideon has been through for the last seven years. We all know that Gideon is like, I had a bad day. I mean, it's just like, and so he's threshing. And so out of nowhere, the angel of the Lord, Gideon, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And so, and so Gideon just says, you know, uh, Mighty warrior. I mean, it'd literally be like the angel appearing, okay? Remember, Gideon is over here just kind of threshing away on the wheat. And the angel just kind of appears. The Bible says he's sitting under a tree. Gideon, mighty warrior. Gideon, mighty, mighty, mighty who? Mighty warrior. I don't see no warriors around here. (laughs) Who are you talking to? You know, he probably just continued to this like thresh. Ain't no warriors around here, bro. I don't know who you're talking about. And so, and so the angel, and the angel says to him, the Lord... The Lord, Jehovah, he is with you. And Gideon, I mean, it's like mighty hero. Bro, ain't no heroes around here. I mean, remember, because the theme song is, and a hero can save us. You know, and he's just like, "There's there's no heroes around here. I mean, I'm literally hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, hoping that somebody does not find me and kills me, and then takes my wheat on top of that, okay? And so, and so it's, I mean, this is like really a painful, you know, moment for us. And then he goes on to say, you know what? And if God is with us, because he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. He says, no, 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 no. God ain't with me, because I know what, I've, I've at least heard a few stories about God being with people. And he associates one thing, if you read the Bible, associates one thing, he says, no, 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 no. If God were here, I've heard stories of God. There would be miracles, taking place. Oh, I've heard the stories of God delivering Israel and the miraculous things that he performed all in front of the Israel's enemies and in front of the entire nation of Israel. God ain't with me. And so the response from the angel of the Lord or God himself is so interesting because he just simply ignores his question. I mean, he's like, where is God? Why, why is all these things happening? What it, 
And he just ignores this question. And the angel of the Lord, or God himself, verse 14, 15, 16, says, go with strength you have. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. For I am sending you. I am sending you. And Israel, I mean, Gideon, again, just kind of responds. Remember, he's just threshing away at the wheat. Just threshing <laughs> Threshing away, and he says, well, I can't believe this dude didn't even answer my question. I mean, did you not just hear me say, like, I don't, God is not with me, I'm not the one. But then he goes on to say, after he says, for the Lord, I am sending you. Go with the strength that you have. You're going to deliver Israel. Gideon's response, he says, I'm the weakest man from the lowest family of the smallest clan in the least significant tribe of all of Israel. Do you know who it is that you are talking to, angel of the Lord Most High. Surely there has been a mix-up. Surely you've got your lines crossed. You're looking for someone else because the hero that you talk about is not found in this here wine press with this little hammer in his hand trying to thresh wheat. I'm hiding. I'm not your man. The angel of the Lord, God himself responds. Again, completely ignoring what Gideon has just said, ignoring his excuses, and says this to him, I will be with you. You will destroy them as if you were fighting against one man. As if you're fighting against one man. So here's the deal. Here's a big idea for us, even here tonight, you guys, the making of a hero. What God was saying to Gideon is it's not about you, Gideon. Gideon, you have to understand that I have chosen you. Gideon, I'm not interested in what you don't have. It's about what you do have. And you have me. Can I get an amen? And so, and so to us, to us, God even says, because to Gideon, it was an entire nation that was waiting on deliverance, that was waiting on freedom. Because again, their sin had got them to this place, but God so rich in his mercy is always fighting for the freedom of humanity. He is always fighting for the freedom of the ones that he loves. And so to Gideon, God was saying an entire nation is waiting on you. But to you here tonight, can I just get personal and knock on your house door? Even tonight, God is saying, I am waiting on you. There's an entire seventh grade class that needs to know my glory. There's an entire high school. There's an entire rugby team. There's an entire football team that are sitting in chains of oppression, waiting on you to open up your mouth and to declare my blessing and declare my love and to declare that my kingdom is greater. There's an entire football team. There's an entire basketball team. There's an entire taekwondo club league. Whatever it is that you do where God wants to speak and reach and love through you. I'm preaching better than your amen in tonight. Come on, help me out. And so, so guys, the deal, the deal for Gideon it was an entire nation. But for you, there is a sphere of influence. There is a people group. And some of you, just like Gideon, would say, but you don't know my story. I mean, if God was with me, I would fill in the blank. My family would have fill in the blank. My mom and dad would be fill in the blank. And God's saying, I don't have time for your excuses tonight. Because it's not about you, Gideon. Oh, come on, how long? How long will you just come to DSM? How long will you just go to church and just sit in the back 
I am talking to people from the front row all the way to the back. Even as I was praying today, God said, speak to those even on the back row, on the fringes, like out in the, and I mean spiritually on the back row, just kind of sitting back, not really getting into the game of winning souls, not really serious about this thing, just kind of half-hearted, going through the motions, kind of wearing the wristband, got the Christian little tag on your, no, 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 no. God says it's time out for that because there are entire groups of people that I want to reach through you. How long before you realize it? How long before you rise up? It's not about what you don't have. God says this. It's about what you do have. And you have me. You plus God. It's all you need. Come on, somebody. Gideon's story, our story, the making of, the making of a hero. The making of a hero. And for you to say, gosh, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's just not my, no, 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 no. You have to understand that from the very beginning of time, God's remedy always, a man or a woman has always been God's remedy for the enemy. Did you catch that? A man or a woman has always been God's remedy for the enemy of our souls. It started way back in Genesis, whenever God rose up a man by the name of Abraham. It continued whenever Israel were in Egypt. Whenever Israel was in Egyptian captivity for 400 years, he didn't just step in and do it himself. He raised up a man by the name of Moses. And then continuing that pattern, he raised up a man named Elijah. And then he raised up a man named Elisha. And then he raised up a woman named Deborah. And then he raised up a woman named Esther, who literally was credited for being used of God to save an entire race of people whenever the Israelites were facing complete and utter extermination and annihilation. God's remedy for the enemy has always been a man or a woman who said yes to him. And many times they were highly unqualified according to the world standard, but they had themselves and they had a complete belief and trust in the God of the ages. So you are without excuse. What's your excuse? Come on, you fill in the blank. I think if we were real honest, we've all been there where we've made excuses for God. God, well, I just, I mean, I haven't been in this thing long enough. I'm not really holy enough. I'm not really pure enough. I mean, God, I don't even know how to have real solid quiet time every single, every single day of the week. And I don't even, I mean, I don't even know where like Exodus or Malachi is in my Bible. And I mean, surely God's not looking at me. And I'm saying, yes, he is looking at you tonight. He is shining the light down on you tonight saying, how long will you just sit there threshing wheat Thinking about yourself and yourself only whenever I've called you and I'm wanting to equip you and use you to do greater works than you could have ever asked, dreamed, thought, or imagined. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask, that we could ask or even think according to the power that is at work on the inside of you and I, sons and daughters tonight. What's your excuse? It's the making of a hero. The making of a hero tonight is what we're talking about. Because I do believe that some heroes are going to be birthed here tonight. And I'm not just talking about it in some cute emotional way. I honestly and authentically believe that even tonight, at the end of this message, we're just going to have a ministry time. The entire band's going to come back and we're going to spend some time with Jesus. Asking him, God, would you birth something in me? 
that is bigger than myself. Would you give me a care and a concern for my world? Something that is bigger than selfish little me. God, would you destroy every idol in my life, in my heart tonight? Because I think that really is it. It's not so much that we don't want to be used by God. It's just that we're preoccupied by everything else. Oh, that'll preach. Many of us, that's really where we are. I, 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 I like God. I like the idea of God. I want to do things for God. But I'm just so busy with everything and everyone, dare I say, else. And so it just kind of takes some rebuilding. Kind of takes the work of the Holy Spirit and you partnering with him. But it can be done. Oh, it will be done. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And so here Gideon is and understanding somewhat of the call of the assignment that God is entrusting to him. And scripture goes on to say in verse 25 through 29, you know, but here, here, here's the deal before we go there. It's one thing to have a secret encounter with God. It's another thing to obey him in public. I'll say it again. It's, an, it's one thing. For God to tell you great things even here in worship as you're just having a one-on-one time with Jesus or having a quiet time with him or he speaks something to you at home. It's a totally different thing to actually exercise those things when you're in front of your friends. So we all must be tested. Gideon was no exception. I am no exception. Therefore, you are not the exception to the rule. Every single one of us have to be tested. See if you're real. So here comes Gideon's test. Gideon's story, you guys, have been talked about, has been talked about literally for centuries to come. Because later, whenever you hear the name Gideon, you think of the big fight that he had with the Midianites where he was up against 135,000 Midianites. And the Lord had given him specific instructions to dwindle his army down to 300 men. And Gideon and God... Plus 300 men totally annihilated 135,000 Midianites. The story has been told for centuries. Everybody knows Gideon as a mighty hero. But tonight I want to talk about the making of a hero. Because it is the secret, constant, consistent choices of character and obedience to God. That's the place where a real hero is made. There's private battles that have to be conquered. Before you'll do anything publicly for the kingdom of God. Long before a platform or a microphone was placed in my hand. There were secret private battles that I had to do war with. In my bedroom. In my home. In my own quiet time before Jesus. Saying kill this in me. Because I want to be real. I want to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Are you guys getting this? I'm not into the hypocritical thing. I don't want to be one person on a Wednesday night. And then another person on a Thursday. And then another person on Friday. And then a totally different person on Sunday morning. That is exhausting. I've been there before. I've played the game. That tires you down. I want to be one person in front of everybody else. The same person Whenever I am alone. Long before you'll conquer. And you'll have victories in public. You have to have many victories in secret. Before Jesus. In your own heart. Your own thoughts. Your own emotions. Your own desires. Come on somebody. 
Y'all following me tonight? Come on. And so, 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 so Gideon was no exception, you guys. Again, godly heroes are made in the midst of hard but obedient choices to follow Jesus. Did you catch that? Godly heroes are made in the midst of hard, obedient choices to follow Jesus. So here Gideon is. Gideon says, okay, God, sign me up. I mean, a hero you see, I see a zero, you see a hero. We'll see how this thing turns out. And so, so God begins to give him his very first assignment. He gives him his very first instruction. And interestingly enough, it has to do with his home life. I think that God comes to us in the very same way even today. Many of us want to do great things for the kingdom of God. We want to go on mission trips. We want to save the world. We want to preach in our schools. But it starts off at home, which is where Gideon was sent. And this is what the Lord says to Gideon. Here's your instructions, Gideon. I want you to, and it's pretty scandalous. I mean, he says, your father is an idolater. I mean, not only does he worship idols, but he literally has a place where he's kind of like a leader of idol worship in your little region. Okay, literally where his idol, where his idol um, throne was even just set up, people from the community would come and they would worship there as well. And so God says, here's what, I, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take down the idol. I want you to tear down the altar. And I want you to burn the Asherah pole. Now, Asherah was one of the gods of the Canaanites. She was a goddess of fertility. Many times to worship her, they would carve out images and a huge wood pole, like facial uh, recognition things, uh, uh, things that reminded you of like her face or things that were um, sacrificed to her, and it would be in a big wooden pole. So you not only have an altar, but you have this big wooden pole, and everyone knew that's Asherah's pole. That's, that, that is an Asherah worshiper, a false god. And so God says, not only do I want you to tear down and to destroy the altar, but take the pole down too. All of it's got to go. There is no room for me to share my glory with anyone in your life. And so very specific instructions were given to Gideon. Burn the Asherah pole and assemble a new altar. Matter of fact, take the, matter of fact, take the, the wood that the Asherah pole is, used out of, is made out of and actually use that to fuel the fire of burning everything else around there. Very specific And so Gideon says, yes, yes, I'll do it. Basically what God was saying to Gideon, and again, you guys, this is a time whenever idol worship was so amazingly popular. I mean, everyone was doing it. So I believe in layman's terms, this is what God was saying to Gideon. I want you to rebel. I want you to rebel. I want you to buck against the current system that is in place. I need a rebel. Now that strikes a chord with some of you because you are just a rebel without a cause. I mean, maybe your parents have recognized that in you or your teachers. You do what you want when you want and you say what you want however you want to say it and you're kind of just like this rebel kind of thing. But what you don't understand is that God put that passion and that urgency and that fire in you so that you can be used mightily of God. You're rebel against the wrong system and so if you would cooperate and you would partner with God the same zeal the same fire that you have to please yourself God's saying I put that on the inside of you I'm not here to destroy it I'm not here to wreck it I don't want to take it from you I want more of it but I've just you've got to use that to glorify my kingdom and forget about your own because it's not about you oh remember he's still getting getting it's not about you 
Keep threshing your little, keep threshing your little wheat on the, on the wine press floor if you want to. But it's not about you. So you can keep doing your thing, Gideon. Or you can come with me. And you can live the life of a hero. I believe that God is inviting us tonight to live the life of a hero. What does that look like? We've got to rebel. Our current system is not working. Come on, think about the majority of your friends in school or on your various athletic teams or your various uh, extracurricular clubs. What's the current system? What's the status quo? God says, I want you to rebel against the status quo even. I want you to rebel. I want you to rebel. I need you to rebel. Come up against it. Rise up and be and do what I have created you to be and to do. I want to set you free tonight. Can live the life of a hero. We're not talking about some cool ethereal. What? No, 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 no. Because remember, heroes are made. We're talking about the making of a hero. Heroes are made in the consistent, hard, but obedient choices to follow Jesus, no matter what anybody else is doing, no matter what anybody else has to say about it, no matter what people think about you. I need you to rebel, Gideon. I need you to rebel, DSM. A rebel, or to rebel, is a rise in opposition against an established rule. There's a rebel in you tonight. And God says, you partner with me, you come in agreement with me, and I'll show you how to rebel against the world system, how to come up against what the the plans of the enemy are for your life and for the lives of those in your generation. Those, the lives of those in your sphere and in your circle of influence. God says, I'm looking for Gideons tonight. Because remember, Gideon was not the only one. God's remedy for the enemy has always been a man or a woman of God. Someone who'll say, yes, God. Scripture is so clear. It says the eyes of the Lord are running throughout, to and fro, throughout the whole entire earth, looking. The eyes of God are running to and fro throughout the entire earth, looking to show himself strong on the behalf of him whose heart is perfect towards him. God does not demand perfection, but he does demand a willingness to be perfected. He demands a willingness to say yes, yes, God. Everything I have is yours. Everything I own is yours. Guys, you might have an idol. If you can't find time to have, to, if you can't have, have, find time to spend with Jesus, but you can have time to spend with boyfriends and girlfriends and other extracurricular friends and doing everything else, you might have an idol. If you can find money for everything else, but you can't ever give to God in church, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, you may have an idol. I won't get any amens, so I'll amen myself. You might have an idol. You may have an idol on your hands. If you can find time for everything else except for the Father, you probably have an idol on your hands. Oh, it's just as callous, it's just as strong as having that Asherah pole that so many Israelites had carved out where God says, break it and burn it and trash it because it cannot glory in my presence. There's no room in my kingdom for your idols and me. So choose, pick, choosey this day. 
And again, you guys, it's not so much, probably 99% of the people in here wouldn't say, it's not that I don't want to be used by God. I'm just so busy with so many other things. I mean, I'm just so distracted. And God says, crush it, destroy it. And I'll raise up a rebel on the inside of you. Amen? Amen. He's looking tonight, you guys. Don't doubt openly what God spoke to you privately. I want to share the lyrics to a song that came out years ago, secular song even, but just so speaks into kind of what we're talking about, kind of talking about here tonight. To find it hard to say that everything is all right. Don't look at me that way like everything is all right because my own eyes can see through all your false pretenses. But what you fail to see is all the consequences. You think our lives are cheap and easy to be wasted as history repeats so foul. You can taste it. And, and while the people sleep too comfortable to face it, his life so incomplete and nothing can replace it. And while the people sleep too comfortable to face it, your life's so incomplete. Nothing can replace it. Fret not yourself, I say, against these laws of man. Because like the Bible says, his blood is on their hands. And what I got to say, what I got to say rebel while today is still today choose well what i gotta say is just rebel it can't go down this way choose well but choose choose well choose and while the people sleep too comfortable to face it your lives are so incomplete and nothing and no one can replace it no what i gotta say is rebel repent the day's too far too spent wake up we must destroy in order to rebuild Oh, are you, are you satisfied? Rebel. Why? Why don't you rebel? Why don't you rebel? And so as the worship team comes tonight, I want us to spend some quality time with, with Jesus here tonight. And just remember... Gideon was in the midst of a moment, threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press where wheat was not normally threshed. He was hiding in fear. Gideon didn't have it all together. Gideon didn't know a whole lot of things. But I believe that there was an inner frustration on the inside of Gideon that he had not quite articulated until he came face to face with God himself. And it's almost like in the dialogue that Gideon had with God, Gideon was almost kind of discovering some frustration that he had in his own heart. Because Gideon's response to God was, well, if God is with me, why is there so much oppression? Basically, why am I going through the tough crap that I'm going through? I mean, if God's really with me. I mean, seriously? So God began to do a work in Gideon's heart, you guys. Because he was willing. Remember, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to be perfected. And I just believe there's some Gideons here tonight who are just kind of threshing wheat. And what I mean by that, just doing what you know to do. Just kind of going throughout your everyday lives, thinking about yourself. Not in a bad way, but just kind of, well, yourself is the only thing that's on your mind. And God's saying, excuse me. May I interrupt you?
may I break into your world. Would you allow my kingdom to literally break into your world? And may I invite you on an adventure of a lifetime. Years and years of following God. Years of doing mighty exploits for the kingdom of God. Starting with making simple choices to crush any idols that are in your heart. Never doubt in secret what God has, or never doubt in public what God has shared with you in secret. Another way to say that is never doubt in the light what God has spoken to you in the dark. In the secret places when it's just you and God. Never doubt Him. I believe tonight as many of you respond to Him He will give you specific instructions just like He gave Gideon. This is what I want for you to do. And so it's not a popularity altar call tonight. And if you're talking to your neighbor, stop. It's not cutesy. You missed it. You go home. I really feel like tonight, the Lord himself would say, that I'm going to brand and I'm going to stamp onto the hearts of so many DSM students, hearts like Gideon said, I'll go home and I'll crush the idols and I'll wait for further instructions, Lord Jesus. I want to be used by him. God, you're looking for a hero. I don't see a whole lot in myself, but I know that you see more in me. And that's the thing about God. He sees more in you than I, he sees more in me than I've ever seen in myself. He'll always see more in you than what you can see in yourself because he's able to look into your heart see what he placed there from before you were born. Bible, scripture says while you were in your mother's womb, he knew you, he formed you, he knit you together and he began to ordain a plan and a purpose for your life. So why be satisfied with anything less than the perfect plan and will of God for your life? Anything less than a hero? Every head bow, every eye closed tonight. Jesus, I thank you for your preached word. I thank you that there's anointing and power in this place and now your Holy Spirit is here. I ask you to go up and down every aisle, every seat, every heart in the name of Jesus. And I ask you to speak. I pray for those even here tonight just kind of going through the motions haphazardly living their lives for God and themselves. God, I thank you that tonight significant idols will be crushed and destroyed. Asherah poles will be burned and broken. Altars will be destroyed. New altars for Jesus will be built in the name of Jesus, I pray. Every head bow, every eye closed. If that's you tonight, if you say, I am Gideon, God is speaking to me. There's a burning in, even in my heart as you speak tonight, Pastor Brandon. And I need to respond just like Gideon did. I want you to stand to your feet very quickly. If you're standing, I want you to make your way to this altar. Quickly. And leave a little bit of space. This isn't grab the hand of your partner and come and let's be friends at the altar. So I don't want to see any of that. Tonight, it's just you and God. Like Gideon sitting there at the bottom of the wine press talking to God himself. So leave a couple inches between you and the person next to you. Come up a little bit here. We have some space. Step up a little bit so everybody else can get. That's so cool. You can kneel where you are or you can stand. I'm going to lead you through a prayer, but then after that, It's you who's going to talk to God. 
whether it's under your breath or not, but it needs to be verbal coming out of your mouth so the devil can hear it, God can hear it, and you can hear it. And dare I say the people next to you, who cares? Gideon didn't. He had to do something public. He had to go public. Secret saints don't win wars. Public ones do. So I'm going to lead you through a prayer tonight. Then as a son or daughter of God, I want you to speak to God and allow Him to speak back to you. According to worship, we're going to play even over you and sing prophetically. We're going to ask God to release words of instruction over you that only He can tell you. Everybody at this altar, lift up your hands to Jesus. Just say, Father, I come to you tonight. Come on, verbally. I come to you tonight, even as Gideon. And I say, I repent for all idols in my own life. I want to be used by you. I want to see a bigger picture. In Jesus' name. I repent. I'm sorry for placing other things or other people before you. You are my number one tonight, Jesus. In your name I pray. And with the same verbal intensity, I want you to talk to your father. And I want you to quiet yourself at some point. Lean in and listen to God. He is a speaking God. And he will give you instruction. If there are idols that need to be destroyed... Even as you go home tonight, the Lord is faithful. He will tell you. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life. 